Seeking for the help of the Lord, I desire to continue this evening with questions asked in Scripture. And this time in the passage that we have read in Luke chapter 13, we have a question that is asked in verse 23 of our Lord. Are there few that be saved? The whole verse reads, Then said one unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? And the Lord then answered. But he did not answer to give a number to say whether there were few or whether there was many that would be saved at all. There are many things the Lord could have said. He could have directed this man back to Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 10. And he could have said to him that there shall be a remnant, a remnant that shall be saved. Though thy people Israel be as the sand of the sea, yet a remnant of them shall return. He could have pointed to that, and Paul did, certainly in Romans 9 and Romans 11. He could also have quoted from Zechariah and said about the third part that would be brought through the fire. And then he could have pointed to Noah's day when only eight souls were saved in the ark, or, or Lot's day with only three that were plucked, as it were, ran from that burning. And as he says in another time, as it was in the days of Lot, so, so shall it be in the days of the Son of Man. But he, he, he didn't do that. He could have spoken, as he does later on in Luke 18, when the Son of Man comes, shall he find faith in the earth? Or maybe he could have spoken of, as that recorded in the Revelation, that there is viewed there an innumerable multitude that no man could number. The Lord didn't choose any of these texts or illustrations, giving no indication whether there will be few or whether there be many. But he brought the matter straight to a personal need. Strive to enter in at the straight gate. And he doesn't just say to the one that asked him. Our text is then said one unto him. But at the end of the text, the answer of the Lord, and he said unto them, not unto just that one. He uses this question to address a point that is so vital that many times we might have questions arise in our hearts, maybe from curiosity, maybe it is Satan saying, well, if this question can be answered, then the scriptures are true and right and the Lord is right, but if it's not, it can't be. They undermine the word of God. But we have set before us in the word what is needful, what is vital, and is not to satisfy curiosity, is not as a bystander 
that we're just viewing and just reading about a plan of salvation, about a people, about sin, about the law, about the sufferings of the Lord. We're reading about a personal salvation of a people that are real people. You know, in Romans, Romans is a beautiful book that deals with doctrine. It deals with it simply, but it's a very often a very profound way. And we go right through 15 chapters of that book and hardly a person is mentioned. All doctrine, vital doctrine. But then we come to the last chapter and there's greetings and made mention of many, many that Paul wanted to be remembered to, spoken to in Rome. He was writing to the church, yes, writing the inspired word of God, but he's writing to real people. I often think of the Old Testament where we have chapter after chapter where there's nothing but names. Why so many names in the word of God? It proves that it is a real history of real people, a real record, and that this book concerns men and women, you and I, our souls, our lives. We think of when our Lord revealed to Peter what would happen to him when he was old. How that another should gird him, he'd stretch forth his hands, another would carry him, whether he would not, signifying by what death he should die. And Peter, he turns round and he sees John following and he says, and what shall this man do? And our Lord says, what is that today? Follow thou me. And he's in a similar vein here. We're not to be probing. How many are to be saved? Are there few? Are there a lot? Are there many? Our Lord makes it clear at the end of the chapter that it shall be from every nation, that it shall be right through all of the world. In verse 29, they shall come from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south and shall sit down in the kingdom of God. He's pointing to the Gentile nations, pointing to every nation, kindred, and tongue, but he's still not answering this question that was asked of him are there few that are saved but he has answered it because he's answered it pointing to a personal application so I want to look this evening firstly the personal need that we each have and then secondly the warning of a wrong way that is in the context here and what follows this question and then the striving in a right way. First there is the personal need. He said unto them, Strive to enter in at the straight gate 
For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. Now that straight gate, as we'll see later, is our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, the I am the door from John 10. But in this first point, it's the personal application. It is so easy to listen for others, to have the most severe warnings just passed over, thinking, these don't apply to me. Or to have simple directions that are given, and again we think, it doesn't apply to us, and we go away, and we do not obey, we do not put into practice those things that are set before us. Every one of us has a soul and a body. That soul and body is under the curse. The body shall die, it shall be laid in the ground. The soul already is dead spiritually and unless quickened into life we shall stand before God's judgment throne and there shall be the second death with soul and body cast into hell forever and ever. Our soul is not mingled with another, not bound up with another. Everyone shall die for his own iniquity. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. And it comes down to one, one soul, one person, the worth of one soul, the worth of our soul. How vital it is that we don't let father, mother, wife, children, any, come between us and this salvation and the needs of our soul for eternity. We've only but a small number of years here, even if we live like one of the dear aged saints I saw this morning in the pilgrim home, she's 107, still very with it. But even if we live that long, what is that length to the countless years of eternity? We cannot measure eternity by time because time shall be no more. It is a created thing. We cannot enter into that. But what we are sure of, that we each are in time. We had a birth which was our birth and we have a life that is our life. And we shall have a death that shall be the death of our body and the release of the soul to return to God that gave it. And our Lord is seeking in this way to emphasise that personal need of a personal faith, a personal interest in the Lord Jesus Christ to be personally saved and delivered from the wrath to come. If ever there was a, a portion of scripture that emphasises that, it is this, but right through the scriptures, the Lord is emphasising 
that which belongs to each and every one of us. Strive to enter in at the straight gate is the message that the Lord has to everyone that reads this word, that everyone that maybe has had this same inquiry and same thought, the Lord would say, don't worry whether there is few or whether it is many, but be concerned whether you are amongst them. That's how we sung in our first hymn. What if my name is left out when thou for them shalt call? Can I bear the piercing thought? Is it a piercing thought? Is it a concern? Is it a burden to us? Do we lay it to heart? Do we realise what is personally at stake? Or do we just drift along there's a door upon its hinges in and out of the house of God or perhaps every now and again just hearing about the things of God never come into the house of God. Never listen for ourselves. Never regard the Bible that we may have picked up as being the word of salvation for our souls. The Apostle says to Timothy, that it is able to make thee wise unto salvation. Or may we really realise that, that when we have in our hands the holy, sacred, infallible, inerrant word of God, we have that which is God has given to men, that they might be saved. John, in the end of his gospel, he said there are many things that the Lord Jesus did, which are not written in this book. Yes, we might wonder, well, what were they? We'd like to know what they were. He says, but these are written that ye might believe, and that in believing ye might have life through his name. Might believe what? That Jesus is the Son of God, and that in believing ye might have life through his name. So may we take on board the way the Lord turned this question and pointed it in a very personal way to all those round about him that they had a path that they were directed to to strive to enter in at the straight gate. I want to look secondly at a warning of a wrong way. And our Lord makes this clear in the comments that he makes afterwards. He says that there shall be those that seek to enter in and shall not be able. And what follows is implying this, that either they are seeking to enter in in this life, but seek it in a wrong way, or it is left until too late, and then they seek beyond the grave, but that is too late. When death comes, there is no more seeking, there is no more salvation. And so the very thought that there shall be some that seem to be seeking and seem to want the way of salvation, but do not obtain it, should make us to ask ourselves, well, what did they do wrong? Where did they go wrong? Why did they not obtain it? 
Well, we have in verse 25, when once the master of the house is risen up and hath shut to the door, and ye begin to stand without. Without. Why are they without? The entrance in through the door is here. It is in this life. It is while the door, the gospel door is open, while the gospel is preached, when the way of salvation is set forth. What is typified here is a people that have never entered in in the day of grace. In the account of Noah and the ark, when the ark had been made at the commandment of God, the Lord then said to Noah, Come, come thou into the ark. He didn't say go into the ark. He said come. The Lord was there. It's the same word. Come unto me, all ye that labour and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. The Apostle Paul's desire was that he might be found in him. Oh, that I might be found in him, in Christ, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is by faith of Christ. But here is pictured a soul that is without. They've never had that close closet walk with the Lord. They've been an outer court worshipper, outwardly, not inwardly, and that they've really never, never known the Lord and never had witness that he knows them. And that is emphasised in verse 26 because the Lord then says, or they, they begin to say, we have eaten and drunk in thy presence, thou hast taught in our streets. The Lord had said, I know you not whence ye are. He didn't know them. But they had an outward religion. They had gathered in the house of God, perhaps. They'd sat down at the Lord's table, eaten and drunken. They'd heard him preached. They'd had an outward form of religion. But an outward form of religion will never save on its own. The wrong way is just an outward form. We have the Pharisees, the scribes in Christ's day that the Lord used as such an example of this. The Apostle Paul was a Pharisee and he saw how that way was such a wrong way. They were proud of their religion. They were very religious people. They wanted to be seen of men. It was all outward. They made many prayers, but they were all outward prayers. And later on the Lord was to say concerning Paul, Saul of Tarsus, behold, he prayeth. And you might say, but he was a Pharisee, Lord. He prayed much. But that's not true prayer, not right prayer. It's just an outward show, an outward performance. And then we have another Picture of what was done wrong. Verse 27. But he shall say, I tell you, 
I know not you not whence ye are. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. And very searching word, because every one of us and the Lord's people know what sin is that plagues them. And here are those that have never turned away from their sin. They've tried to marry up religion with the world. Flesh has not been crucified. They've still walked on in a worthy way. Our Lord says you cannot serve God and mammon. But we have those today that have turned worship places virtually into pop concerts and the music of the world is the music of many churches. The dress of the world, the conversation of the world, the attitude of the world, and yet God's word is there. It is read, it is preached, it is sought to be applied, but it doesn't seem to make any effect on those that hear that word. They seem to be just as much mingled with the world as what the world is. A religious, perhaps social club, but not those that are redeemed, separated, a holy people. A people here, the Lord says, who work iniquity. The redemption in the Lord Jesus has not been seen and known in their lives. Our Lord, he shall save his people from their sins. And yet here is a people, the Lord is telling them, you have not been saved from your sins. You are still walking in them, delighting in them. And I say it is a, a searching word, a trying word. And many will look at that and maybe say what the disciples said when the Lord insisted that those that love riches, that cleave to riches, how hardly shall a rich man enter into the kingdom of God. And the disciples, they said, then who then can be saved? Who then can? They knew how much they clave to riches or have the things of this world. And the Lord says that that which is impossible with man is not impossible with God. And then we have what the Apostle Paul identified when he wrote to the Romans in chapter 10. And he said... And we think of our Lord over Jerusalem and, and here is Paul. He says in verse 1 of chapter 10 of Romans, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. And he saw they had a zeal of God. You might say they were striving, but not according to knowledge. They were trying to obtain God's salvation by their own works, by their own goodness. He might say, well, on the one hand, you're saying they didn't depart from iniquity and still sin. On the other hand, you're criticising because they are trying to be good and trying to make a righteousness, but they're trying to make a righteousness to be saved by their own good works, not realising that by works no man can be justified that it is not by works of righteousness which we have done, 
We are called to live holy and godly lives, but that is not our redemption. That is not how we gain an access to heaven. That way is through Christ and Christ's righteousness alone. So a zeal, a striving, must be according to knowledge and not just anyhow, and especially not just thinking, well, I've done this and that, I must be good enough, God must accept me as I am. Because the Apostle says here, they were ignorant of God's righteousness. They hadn't submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. They wouldn't let go of their good works and cleave solely upon Christ's good works, Christ's righteousness alone. They still had some hope in self. The natural man does not like to be told that he is sinful, he is evil, he is vile, he is lost, he is ruined, and he has no ability to redeem himself by good works or otherwise. He does not like to be told that he is not a good person, he is a sinful person, that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, who can know it, that we are full of wounds and bruises and putrefying sores, and he likes to know God on his own terms, his terms, not God's terms. And these are the errors, the wrong way, that the Lord points to in his answer when giving the exhortation to strive to enter in at the gate, straight gate. He gives warnings as to a wrong way and wrong striving and those that did not attain what they aimed for. So what is it to strive rightly? In the third place then, striving in a right way. To strive is to really make great effort and great diligence to do something. It's not lazy and careless and indifferent, half-hearted. It is a very zealous and very uh, focused attempt to enter in at the straight gate. So what is it that is set before us here? Well, first I'd say this. We said in the first place it was personal. So let us think of what our Lord said when we are to pray. And it was a direct counter to those that stood on the corners of the streets praying and they fasted to be seen of men, they prayed to be seen of men. To strive in the right way is to strive first in the closet where no other person, no other man sees us. The Lord says, When thou prayest, go into thy closet, shut thy door, and pray unto thy Father, which seeth in secret. Thy Father, which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. That which is wrought in the heart and in the closet 
It will have an effect upon our lives. They said of the disciples, they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. It is vital that if we have a personal faith, that it is between us and our God. As much as it is right to have family worship, family worship does not take the place of a personal relationship with the Lord. As much as it is right to be constant at the means of grace and every time the church gathers for worship that we are found there, but that does not take the place of that personal closet walk with the Lord. And so that is the first of the striving that it is between our soul and the Lord in the closet. Time with the Lord, time in his word. The second thing is this. Our Lord says he has strived to enter in at the straight gate. That is at Christ. We're told about the way that is a uh, straight gate, they enter. We have in Matthew 7, verse 13. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth into life, few there be that find it. And he gives a warning there as well. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing and inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Later on there, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. And so in... The will of the Father, we read in Colossians, it hath pleased the Father that in him that is in Christ all fullness dwell. We read in Paul's epistle to the Philippians that our Lord humbled himself, was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow A true worship is bowing before the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord. The Lord said, You call me Lord, but you do not the things that I say. He said also, That whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this generation, of him shall my Father be ashamed before the angels in heaven. Many will say, well, we're not ashamed of the Lord Jesus. But what of his words? How many are saying that they follow the Lord, but they do not the things that he says. So if we are striving to enter in at the straight gate, our Lord said in John 8, he said to those Jews which believed on him, that believed that he was the door, I am the door, as in John 10, that believed he is that straight gate went in at, he said unto them, If ye continue in my word, 
Then shall ye be my disciples indeed. Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. That is the secret of it. We think of the parable of the sower, where our Lord spoke of the word as the seed. And the first one, where the seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and they ate it up, it went straight away. And the Lord likened that to one that hears the word but does not understand it, and Satan comes and takes that word out of their hearts. Then there was others where the word was, or the seed was upon the stony ground, and it did not have much depth of root, and so as soon as there was persecution or trouble because of the word, then they were offended, and they went back, they walked no more with the Lord. For others it was in ground where there was thorns, and the thorns sprang up and they choked it, the worldly cares of this world choke the word that it becomes unprofitable. But the one that was sown in good ground was one that heard the word and understood it and brought forth fruit. That is the striving. The Lord says, From me is thy fruit found, except ye be united to the vine. Without me ye can do nothing. And here the striving is after Christ, that everything that we have comes from him and not from us, that we seek after his grace. You know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. And Paul had to prove that in his trial, the thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, my grace is sufficient for they, he couldn't do it. He couldn't suffer that affliction, that trial, without the grace and help of the Lord. And you and I will find things in our lives if the Lord is teaching us and leading us and has quickened us into spiritual life, then it will be. There will be those things that we cannot get through and cannot endure and cannot manage without the Lord's grace and without his help, and many will be the cries for the help of the Lord. What the law could not do, because it was weak through the flesh, God sent his Son. That which is impossible with man is not impossible with God. And the Lord brings these things before us so that we seek unto him and cry unto him. We read that to know him is life eternal. And there are many as set forth here that professed to know the Lord but didn't really know him. Our Lord invites those that are heavy laden and burdened to take his yoke upon them and to learn of him. For his meek and lowly in heart ye shall find rest unto your souls. We're yoked together with someone, we walk very closely with them. We learn their spirit, their mind, their way, how they think, how they talk. And that is what is set before us here, entering into Christ. We shall be his sons and his daughters and learn of him. It is to 
Be blessed with his faith or the faith that is of Christ in Romans that we are saved through by his faith. In Hebrews 12, the Lord Jesus Christ is the author and finisher of our faith. Now if we try to raise up a faith of our own, it will do us no good. But if we seek of the Lord for faith, the dear disciples said, Lord, increase our faith. It's one of the great blessings of the new birth when the Lord passes by and bids his people live and quickens them into life, he immediately gives them faith, gives them that eye of faith to look unto him. By nature we do not have it, we cannot exercise it to bring ourselves to a new birth. That is God's work. It's God's work to give us a concern and to give us a hearing ear. And no doubt there were those that heard our Lord speak here and his word did not fall to the ground and bear no fruit, but there were those that heard it and those that walked according to it and strove to enter in at the straight gate. May we strive for that humility that is in Christ. One of the great marks of the fall of man is pride. And the child of God will know how soon pride rises up. One of the hymn writers says, The heart uplifts with God's own gifts and makes even faith a snare. Even the blessings of God he'll take to himself and and exalt as if he's got something of himself. For well, we are told in the word that what hast thou, then what thou hast received. The gift of God is eternal life, and no man has merited it or earned it yet. It is a sovereign free gift. If we discern and honest with ourselves, May we cry unto the Lord at every breaking forth of the pride of our heart, rejection of his word, rejection of reproofs of men. The proud, proud heart will always resist the lowly, humble Lord Jesus. Resist his teaching, resist his people. Then we think of the obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ is set before us. Obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And that is the path that we are to strive as well. <clears throat> Entering in at that straight gate. Entering into Christ to know something of his obedience. In Christ's obedience clothe and wash me in his blood, so shall I lift my head with joy amongst the sons of God. But we will not trust in that obedience, we will not trust in our own works, but trust in Christ's obedience, his righteousness, what he has accomplished and he done. That was the thing that the Apostle was pointing out in Romans 10 that those that had a zeal, they were trusting in their obedience and not in Christ's obedience. 
We will be obedient. But the more we will try to, the more we realise that we are not, and that our obedience is not a perfect obedience. And that will then lead to that need of Christ's obedience. Our Lord spent whole nights in prayer. I was thinking of this the other evening, the other night, in the night watches, trying to watch unto prayer. And I thought, well, I can't seem to pray for long at a time at all. And our Lord spent the whole night in prayer. And yet we are to strive to walk in the path and the ways of the Lord. He mentioned the Apostle Paul, Behold, he prayeth. And prayer is the life of the people of God. May we truly have that fellowship, communion and union with the Lord in prayer. Another aspect of that striving to enter in at the straight gate is to desire that holiness that comes from the Lord. The Apostle says, Be ye holy as I am holy. The Lord says, He is a holy God and bids His people to be as He is. The hymn writer takes it up, Christ has holiness enough to sanctify us all. There are those attributes of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ that are not communicable. He cannot communicate to us that that eternal nature that he was from eternity to eternity. He can give eternal life, but he can't make us to be as he is in that way. There are aspects of his Godhead and those things that belong to him that are not communicated. But regarding holiness, regarding obedience, regarding grace, regarding faith, those things the Lord communicates. Thou hast received gifts for men. Yea, for the rebellious also, that the Lord God might dwell among them. And it is those gifts that come straight from the Lord Jesus Christ that we are to strive for, beg for, ask of the Lord for. If ever I've had an illustration of striving, it was when my dear mother died. She was dying of cancer. She was blind, she was within a week or so of her death and she as yet did not have the assurance and comfort that the Lord was her God. And she used to pray for a long while during the night season when most of us were asleep but she used to pray aloud and just almost non-stop, Lord open the ark and take me in. And she begged and begged for his salvation and for his blessing earnestly. And you know the Lord did come and he did bless her. And then she spoke of that blessing and the blessedness 
And then all was quiet. Her striving, her labouring, her cries. They had turned to praise. And then there was just that quiet waiting for the Lord to come. There's always been left a mark on me. Remember creeping along the corridor and writing down some of her prayers and the breathings that she breathed at that time. And it is this that the Lord presses upon those that hear him that this is a, an urgent case of our souls of great worth, infinite worth is worth labouring for worth fighting for fight the good fight of faith lay hold upon eternal life it's worth running for let us run the race that is set before us looking unto Jesus it's worth taking the whole armour of God unto us, as Paul says to the Ephesians, and fighting that good fight of faith. There is a right striving, and that is set forth before us in the Word of God. And it is all centering in the Lord Jesus Christ. What he has done, the payment he has paid at Calvary, the righteousness that he's wrought out in his life, the gifts that he has received for men and that he may give to those for whom he has suffered, bled and died. He gives them eternal life and all what is in that life, what is bound up in that parcel of life, his faith, his prayer, his humility, his obedience, his holiness, his righteousness, all of these things are bound up in that gift that he gives to his people. Of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. The Lord gives the spirit of grace and of supplication, and using that prayer, they ask for further helps, for further graces, and in answer to that prayer, those further graces are given the Lord imparting those things that he has for his people. He gives of his fullness for the poor. He provides for them. He does what Boaz did for Ruth, lets forth those handfuls of purpose. He does like he did for the children of Israel, gives the manna from heaven. All that they have, they have from the Lord. Dependence upon him. Strive to enter in at the straight gate. And as we had in, in Matthew, following that straight gate doesn't open into a wide way at all. It is not only a straight gate, but it is a narrow way. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. What an important chapter that chapter Matthew 7 is, warning of those false guides that will make that narrow way wider, Make it that it is not only Christ and there is not a closet way 
There's not a holy way, not a way of dependent upon the Lord, that where there is much uh, self-seeking, pride, self-sufficiency, walking in sparks of our own kindling, a faith that is of our own making. Or may we have that of which there will be times we feel our poverty, we feel our sin, we feel our pride, we feel our lack of faith, we feel our lack of prayer, we feel our unholiness and our unrighteousness. And all of these things we long after and we seek from the Lord because we know in ourselves we haven't got any of them. And we seek those helps from the Lord. And that sense of what we are keeps us low and humble and beggars at his uh, footstool. May then this word be a word that we really take home and meditate on and think on and ask ourselves how do we put it into action? Are we just drifting along day by day? Or is there an urgency, a striving? Is there that which we really beg of the Lord and ask of the Lord that he'd impart for us and give us and appear for us and help us? Are there few that be saved? If you wanted a question answered this evening, that question is not answered by our Lord, but it is answered. Is it answered in a way that you and I need to hear? Strive to enter in at the straight gate. Enter in at Christ, to know Christ, to know the secret of the Lord, which is with them that fear him, to know him, which is life eternal. The Lord add his blessing. Amen.